You're about to hear a full-length vendor interview that will help you get smart fast. Our subscribers can access hundreds of hours of these expert interviews at markitecture.tv. Welcome to Markitecture, where you can get smart fast with in-depth interviews of leading technology vendors. I am Eric Sufert, and I'm here with Michael Kaminsky, the co-CEO and co-founder of Recast. Michael, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here, and I'm going to start with a softball question. What does Recast do? Recast is a marketing science platform. Effectively, we do automated marketing mix modeling, sometimes abbreviated as MMM, on behalf of our customers, helping them measure the effectiveness of their marketing activity on online and offline channels. Got it. So uh, we'll go into the details about all of that later, but let's first review some basics about your company. So when was your company founded? Depending on exactly when you start the clock, about three years ago is when we really started taking this product to market. Got it. And where are you based? As in you personally, but also Recast? Yeah, so we're a fully remote team. I'm actually based in Mexico City. My co-founder is in New York City. And then we have the majority of our company is scattered throughout the United States. We have a few people outside of the U.S. as well. Got it. And how many employees do you have? Uh, I believe we are at 22 as of today and growing quickly. Got it. And so they're sort of distributed all over the world. How many of those employees are in product and or engineering versus sales? So sales, we have one person. So everyone else is either product engineering or operations, customer success type of roles. Got it. Where is the most exotic location that one of your employees is based? Yeah, we've got one guy in Brazil, another guy in Slovenia. Slovenia maybe is fairly exotic just because it's not a country you hear that much about because it's very small. But I think those are the, the two sort of furthest flung employees today. I've been to Slovenia, a very beautiful country. I was in uh, Ljubljana. Uh, and what is your ownership structure? We're, we're venture-backed, so uh, we've got a couple of venture investors and then, you know, owned between Tom and I. Is that the, is that the question you were asking? Well, I was hoping you'd tell us what your cap table is, but uh, we, we'll, settle for, <laughs> we'll, settle, we'll, we'll settle for venture-backed. Um, okay, let's talk product. So what does your product do? How does it work exactly? Yeah, so the idea behind marketing mix models in general is its top-down statistical model on aggregate data looking at historical marketing activity and historical sales or whatever KPI the business is interested in, and then finding the patterns in that data in order to be able to say, okay, when we tend to spend more on X channel, maybe it's Facebook, controlling for everything else that's going on, how many additional sales does that lead to? This sort of idea has been around for a very long time. The idea behind Recast is to fully automate that model building process in order to give faster, cheaper and generally better results for marketers who are looking to measure all of their different marketing channels in a world where tracking is getting more difficult and potentially they have non-trackable distribution or marketing channels. And just out of curiosity, what's your background? What, what made you interested in this space? Yeah, so my background and my co-founder's background is in econometric statistics and causal inference. So I started out on the academic side doing research, publishing papers, and then moved into tech and startups. So prior to starting Recast, I ran the, the data science and analytics team at Harry's, the men's grooming brand that went from you know, D2C only selling razors online to now selling razors everywhere, advertising everywhere. And that journey with Harry's really influenced how I think about the problem of marketing measurement and optimization. Got it. What category do you compete in? So if we think about just general measurements, attribution, uh, and then I think there is really a new kind of category emerging that is, call it uh, non-deterministic attribution or 
probabilistic attribution. Which category would you say that you compete in? Yeah, so we're in the sort of the latter category of non-deterministic attribution or measurement. And so we have like partnerships with people on the attribution side, like a Rockerbox or, you know, a Triple Whale or whoever. And a lot of our customers use those tools. We have partnerships with companies that do experimentation, like House or Measured or companies that manage that in-house. And then MMM, probabilistic measurement is sort of this other thing. And that's very much the space that, that we are in and trying to, to carve out a, a space for us for. So, but Rockerbox, Triple Whale, that's mostly D2C, right? That's mostly web-based. Are you, you're kind exactly. of servicing the web advertiser uh, category. Well, not exactly. Like most of our, most of our cu- customers are not only advertising on the web, right? They're advertising, yes, on Facebook and Google, but also doing out-of-home mailers, TV, and then often they're, you know, selling not just online either. So they might sell on their Shopify store, but also on Amazon and also in-store at Target or, you know, distributed through an app or whatever the thing is. And so I think about us as addressing sort of, in general, it's often brands that are a little bit bigger, a little bit more sophisticated that have this problem of true omni-channel measurement. And that's really where a company like Recast comes in. So a lot of our customers go through the journey of like, they start out online, they use Google Analytics or Rockerbox or Triple Whale or whatever, and then they get more complex and add on experimentation and they get even more complex and need an always on tool for doing this sort of measurement and optimization. And that's when they come to work with, a, with, with us at Recast. Got it. And so who would you consider to be your most direct competitor or competitors? Yeah, it's a good question. So it depends on sort of what state, like what part of the market you're looking at. On the more enterprise side, it's companies like Nielsen, Newstar Market Share, now owned by TransUnion, Analytic Partners. A little bit below that, it's often open source tools. So Facebook's Robin or Google's Lightweight MMM that companies are evaluating, trying to build on top of in-house. I don't know why I chose this particular hill to die on, but just to clarify, it's not a Google product, right? It's it was. I think it's like my understanding is that it's a, it's a couple of people at Google built it, but it's not officially sanctioned by Google. Although they use some of their like their, they get like spare time or whatever like hobby time within the company. They use that to build it, so it's not officially a Google product. I mean, it depends on exactly what you mean by like officially. Google recommends it a lot and like has put sure. some marketing weight behind it. But you're right; it's not an official Google product. It's an open source tool worked on part time by people. Same thing with Facebook's Robin, effectively, right? It was came out of a hackathon and then they open sourced it and dedicate some amount of resources to maintaining it. Got it. Uh, and so you, you, you listed like kind of a, a number of tiers of, or a, a hierarchy of, of competition. What makes your product unique from, let's call it the most direct competitors. And then also the, the sort of like the, the, the more abstract, uh, competitors. Yeah. So when we think about the most direct competitors, what makes Recast really unique is our emphasis on software as opposed to consulting and services in order to be able to build these models and generate these insights and help marketers make decisions. So traditionally, like traditional MMM type consulting firms, they're very much oriented around services. We're going to put a team of analysts and data scientists onto your account. They are going to build you a custom model, and then they will read out insights from that you know, at once every six months at a big meeting with the executive team. We take a very different software first approach where we want to automate all of that model building process in order to be able to do these refreshes a lot faster. So instead of refreshing the model once every six months or once every three months, we we hook up to our customer's marketing data warehouse 
ingest those data automatically, run the model automatically, get results out on the other side automatically. And that allows us to do this refresh at a much more rapid cadence and also deliver these results a, a lot more affordably because we don't have you know expensive statisticians on the team who are hand tuning all of these different models. Right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the like, you know, call it non-deterministic measurement solutions, like they're, they're actually just kind of agencies, right? I, I think that's one thing that's, that's interesting about your company is that, you know, it's like just a SaaS product, right? It's like a, an automated tool, which makes it much more accessible because to your point, there's no like client dinners and on-sites and, you know, having like an embedded engineer or whatever. It's just a, a, a data pipeline and uh, some kind of interface. That's exactly right. And, you know, you mentioned partnerships with some of the other measurement tools. Like, so if you think about like this, this problem space, obviously it's like the segmented data sets and then trying to like reconstitute the linkage that used to exist with a ter- deterministic ID. And, and the way you do that is radically different than the way you did it with, with a deterministic ID. But you, there are companies out there that, that try to essentially build a synthetic version of the deterministic ID. How do you think about like integrating with that kind of data? Is that helpful? Is that future-proofed or is that like a short-term solution? Is that the best way to use an MMM? Yeah. So I don't really think about integrating with that sort of data at all. Um, I think one of the advantages of MMM is that it's a totally different view of the data and the world as it works. The thing that I think marketers really need to be thinking about is incrementality. And even if you can get back to some sort of consistent ID synthetically, you know, with whatever assumptions, and you're tracking people across the internet, you're still not really measuring incrementality, which is the thing that actually matters. And so I think things like experimentation and tools like MMM, the goal, right, is actually measuring incrementality. And so this idea of just like first touch or last touch, they can be very valuable tools. I would never you know, recommend that someone just totally turn that off, but they aren't measuring incrementality. And so from an, an MMM perspective, I really think there's a lot of value in not biasing those results by injecting this other measurement method that we know has a bunch of flaws and instead keep the MMM model sort of pure in some sense in that it's giving you this different unbiased look at the data that isn't reliant on digital tracking at all, which for some marketing channels just isn't possible. Like you can't yeah. reconstitute an ID for measuring, you know, terrestrial radio impact on sales. And so the beauty of something like MMM is that it doesn't rely on tracking at all, and it's not going to be biased towards the channels that are easiest to track. All right. Yeah. That's a really important point. The last one, like the, the bias that comes from whatever, like confirmed attributions. Well, you know, every, you can't do that with the other channels, so you can't possibly mix them, right? Exactly. Okay. We touched on this a little bit, but I'd like to hover here for a second. So who is your typical customer? Yeah, so we, we generally tend to work with brands that are spending between 10 and $150 million a year on paid media. That's pretty much our sweet spot. As far as like the users of the tool, it ranges from like a marketing data analyst to a marketing scientist to actual you know people on the marketing team. And whether that's channel managers or like a director or VP of performance marketing or even up to the CMO, depending on sort of that person's level of technical sophistication, that's roughly the, the, the group of people who are using our product. Got it. And, and across all segments or is there one segment that you excel uh, with? So we've built a lot of our business on, you know, fast moving consumer goods. And so that's, you know, we've carved out, I think, a a really nice niche in the market there. But we also work with personal finance apps and personal health apps and pharmaceutical companies. And so we have, you know, expanded into a range of other verticals, even though I think the bulk of our customers today are in fast moving consumer goods. 
So you, you, you mentioned, you know, the, the revenue range that you believe is your sweet spot. Like, how does that map to like the size of the marketing team? Do those tend to like correlate pretty closely or do you find that they don't? So, yeah. And I mentioned, by the way, like paid media spin, not necessarily revenue range because those things can sort of diverge to some extent. Right. It correlates pretty well to the size of the marketing team. Like if you're spending a hundred plus million dollars a year on paid media, you generally have either a pretty big internal marketing team or a number of different agencies that you're working with. And also you probably have some dedicated resources on like marketing analytics. Mm -hmm. um, and so those teams tend to be bigger and more complex. And then this, on the smaller end, you know, you can have very small marketing teams efficiently spending 10, $15 million a year if you're mostly spending on like Facebook, Google search and the other um, dynamically optimized channels. So you, you actually didn't name any agencies as clients. Do you, do you work with agencies directly? We work with a couple of agencies in a couple of different formats. It hasn't been a huge priority for us. Um, it's a thing that we're exploring. One of the problems with working with agencies directly is you have to really find the right agency partner. We worry a lot about injecting bias into the idea of measurement. And mm -hmm. some agencies, right, they're very incentivized to show that what their agency is doing is working and they want right you know, to put their thumb on the scale or to have us put our thumb on the scale. And we don't want to do that. And we've sort of built our product to not really allow that to happen. And so when we're working with agencies, we want to be really careful to make sure that our incentives are aligned with the agency and with the end client in order to be able to have, you know, in order to, for the end client to actually be able to get a bunch of value out of it. Have you ever had a case where a client hired you to keep their agency honest? Definitely. So that's, you know, one of the things that we do working within brands is that's what they want us for is they want this unbiased view of how their different agencies are doing. So that way they can go to the agency or the connected TV vendor or whoever it is and be like, look, you know, this isn't working. We need you to go fix it or make it better or whatever the thing is and or that whatever that leverage is and what and how they want to use it. Right. Yeah. Agencies must love that. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, some of them. I mean, look, you know, some agencies do not like it, but some agencies are great. Like they, you know, I've wor I, I work with a lot of agencies or talk to people at agencies who really do want the best for their end client and they're excited to get some amount of measurement and then use that to get better. Although not 100% true. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, can you name any key customers? Yeah, so, I mean, we've got a bunch of logos on the website. We work with Harry's, Zola, Jackpocket, Rocket Money, uh, Away, Masterclass, Mockingbird, Negative Underwear, First Leaf Wines, Curex Pharmaceuticals. So again, sort of crossing a range of different verticals there. Yeah, very diverse. Um, okay, very cool. Uh, so can you walk us through a specific customer use case? Yeah, so when customers work with us, often it's because they are starting to explore or have been spending significant amounts of money on difficult to track channels. So TV is a really good example. And whether that's linear TV or connected TV, there's lots of reasons to believe that those are difficult channels to measure with something like a multi-touch attribution tool. First touch, last touch, it's just very hard to make those connections generally. Um, and so there's good reason to believe that you're not gonna be able to get full insight into what's going on with those channels, podcast, radio, et cetera. And so companies that are starting to, to spend more on those channels, they want to come work with Recast to achieve a couple of things. So one is being able to measure the relative efficacy of their investments into those different channels. We're getting an ROI of 3.5x on Facebook and 3.2x on linear TV, 2.1x on podcast and 5.6x on mailers or whatever that is. So that measurement then helps them sort of 
think about how they can reallocate their budget in order to get overall more efficient or double down into the channels that are working for them. And then also for planning purposes, right? They want to be able to plan for next quarter or next year. And so they want to have a sophisticated planning tool that can take into account all of the different features of these different channels and their seasonality and the time delay between when we you know, run an ad and when we actually get sales from it and then be able to use that in their planning process. Got it. You kind of touched on this before, but would love to, to dig in further. So who at the customer organization is using the product? I imagine it's like a marketing analyst or something. I think marketing analyst is probably like the most common title, but again, different customers that we work with, some of their marketers are very, you know, analytically savvy. They come from consulting backgrounds and they, you know, they're the Facebook channel manager, but they're able to come into the tool, understand, you know, what the insights are telling them and use the planning tools. But in general, I think the heaviest users are analysts, either on the brand side or sometimes on the agency side. So when you get like inbound, who are you usually selling this to? Is it the CMO coming and asking for like a demo or is it like the marketing analytics lead or who is it? So it's generally either the marketing analytics lead or like a director of or VP of marketing, often like a performance director or VP of performance marketing, right? Those are the, the titles that we see most often. Sometimes it's the CMO, but often the CMO has been like, you team go figure out what we want to do for measurement and then come back to me. And so we're less directly selling to that title. Right. Or they're just entirely detached from measurement. Or they're just altogether. entirely detached. <laughs> they know what money goes in. They don't really care what money comes out. Okay. Uh, that's an aside. Okay. So we got this analytics team use case. They're interfacing with the tool. How are they interfacing it? Like what's the interaction pattern look like? What's the interaction profile look like? Yeah, so it, it sort of depends on on what the marketing team is doing and focused on. So a lot, you know, a really fun example, right, is hey, we've just launched a big TV campaign and we want to track how we're doing, right? So we're supposed to be running this campaign over the next three months and we want to see what the initial, you know, how the initial results are looking two or three weeks in. And so they're logging into the tool every week, seeing okay, are we trending up? Are we trending down? And then maybe they want to take some action off of that. Maybe they want to switch between 15 and 30 second spots based on the results that they're seeing. Or maybe they want to go back to an old creative that they were using before because they're seeing that this new campaign is doesn't have uh, the same performance that the old one did. And so they're working to try to dynamically optimize in the middle of this campaign in order to maximize the results that they can get based on you know the media that they've potentially already pre-bought. So that's like sort of one use case. And then the other one is like, hey, it's monthly planning time or quarterly planning time, and we need to come up with a budget for next quarter. And that's going to involve us thinking about where we can deploy dollars and then having a negotiation with the finance team or the CFO about what that's going to get us. And so they'll use our budget optimization tool to say, hey, we have a goal of you know $20 million of revenue next quarter. We have a marketing budget of $5 million. How can we get there? Or can we get there at all, right, given the most, you know, given the performance of the channels and expected seasonality? And so they'll go through and do a scenario analysis of, okay, if we bump the budget up to X, it might get us to Y. We'll have an 80% chance of hitting the goal versus only a 50% chance of hitting the goal. And then iteratively working through different budgets, sharing that with the finance team until they lock in the plan for the next quarter. Okay, great. And what is the output they're expecting from using the product, right? So like kind of two questions here. So what form does the output take? Is it like a web interface or do they get mailed a spreadsheet or a PDF or whatever? And then actually what's what data is in there? Because I think that's that's one of the core misconceptions about 
MMM. It's like, well, you could just adapt this to your normal reporting template to just sort of like fill in those Excel cells. And that's not really the case, right? So like what form does the reporting take? Where, what are they, what are they interfacing with? And then what's, what's in the reporting? Yeah. So we have a, we have an online dashboarding and reporting web interface. So you can come in and you can see a bunch of pre-built summary reports and then tweak those with different filters. Show me these channels combined over this time range or whatever. The most important data that that come out of at least like the insights reporting piece is the relative performance of the different channels. ROI of Facebook, you know, from January 1st to January 20th was 3.5x and the ROI of TV over the same time period was 3.2x and then there's uncertainty associated with those. That's really the most important and most actionable information because then you can start to think about like, okay, well, what should we do in February based on what we've seen so far in January? Potentially, we want to reallocate budgets to double down on what's working. Beyond that, there's a bunch of other like interesting reporting features. You can see the estimated diminishing marginal returns curve. So if we were to triple spend on Facebook, what do we think would happen? It's probably going to drive our overall ROI down because we're advertising to potentially a less you know primed audience. And so what do we expect the shape of that is going to look like? Like where is the inflection point on that curve? Uh, how long do we expect it to take if we invest in Facebook versus TV? Maybe the TV effect is spread out over 30 days, but the Facebook effect is only spread out over seven days. And so depending on what our goals are for the end of the month, maybe we actually want to put more money into Facebook so that we can hit our goal sooner as opposed to receiving that revenue further into the future. And so there's a bunch of data that's all available there in the reporting platform that you know customers can take and download or get into their data warehouse for their other you know reporting tools that they have. So that's sort of like the data that's there and what people are generally using. I think your point about how do we incorporate this information with the other reporting that we're doing is is a really good one. And I think this is a place where a lot of marketing teams sometimes have to do a lot of education with their executive leadership team to get them off of just looking at the last touch report or the number of impressions or the number of clicks and the things that they might be used to looking at and instead take a step back to think about, okay, we're going to look at incrementality at a sort of more aggregated or abstract level. And then we're going to have to think about what we do without necessarily being able to measure the impressions or clicks on every single different channel we're operating in. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's to my mind, that's like the principal channel, right? Like there's, you know, people building these tools and they exist. And, uh, you know, you could spin up Robin in an afternoon, but that's the first step in a very long journey, right? Okay. So what results do customers typically get from a business objective standpoint, right? So this is just like optimizing spend or spending more. It, yeah. I mean, it really depends on what's going on with the different business at different times. So when a lot of brands were really, you know, growing really fast, sort of in the COVID time when customers were spending a lot, they were all trying to grow as quickly as possible. And so they were saying, hey, we want to deploy more capital into marketing. Where can we deploy those additional dollars? Over the last, you know, six months, that sort of changed and is going the op- opposite direction. Right. And they're thinking about where can we cut and where do we cut most efficiently? And so what they're doing will really depend on like the business context and what's going on for them. But we've seen customers, you know, use our tool, measure a channel and say, hey, this channel actually isn't, uh, it's not working very well for us. Let's cut most of the spend in that channel. They'll see revenue stays effectively flat and they'll say, okay, great. We can cut this channel really dramatically, get the same business results, and that's going to save us seven figures a year. So that's like a really sort of obvious and easy example, but we've seen that happen multiple times. 
And then below that, in a way that's more difficult to measure, is just the ongoing optimization. So, hey, Facebook performance has been trending down. Should we pull back spend on that? Or how do we want to adjust to that? And that's, you know, smaller tweaks on a week-to-week basis, but they add up to large effects over time. If you can save, you know, $10,000 here, $10,000 there, it starts to add up really quickly just through the process of optimizing the budget little by little over time. All right. So, so there's kind of like a corollary to that. So like, why should a potential customer care? Do you help them make money or save money? It depends on what they're trying to do. We do both, right? So we can help you make more money if you're underinvested into a channel that's really highly performing for you because you haven't been able to measure it. Maybe radio has been working really well. You could make a bunch more money by spending dollars into that, but you've been scared to do that in the past because you d- it doesn't show up on your Google Analytics report. And so the leadership team hasn't been able to justify spending additional dollars into that channel. So that's an easy way to make a bunch more money if that channel happens to be really effective for you. And then saving money is just sort of the opposite direction. We've been spending a ton of money on branded search because the last touch report says that it's great for us, but it's actually not truly incremental. And so we should think about how are we going to pull back spend on that channel where we're not actually going to lose any incremental sales. Got it. And what's the service model and setup like? Do you have dedicated account managers, pooled support? So we have a a white glove support team. So we have dedicated account managers and data scientists that will help with the initial onboarding and model setup for a brand. And then we'll be sort of on the account for the long term. We get like our data scientists will get alerts if the model starts underperforming in terms of the metrics that we care about for for monitoring the model's accuracy and validity. And so those data scientists will get alerted if, you know, next month we all of a sudden are missing our predictions. We'll be able to say like, okay, look, let's go figure out what's going on and double click into that and make sure that there's not an actual problem. And uh, do you do any custom developments or white label work? Uh, We do not. So let's talk about pricing. So how does a pricing model work? Do you have a a sort of minimum commitment size or a a minimum scale size? And and what's the average that a customer pays you? Yeah, so our average contract values are around $100,000 a year. So not cheap, um, which again is why we are sort of often working with these bigger brands that are spending $10 million plus a year on paid media. Uh, For minimum commitment in general, you know, we're going to be looking at something around like $60,000 a year to get started. And then we have brands paying us in the $200,000 to $300,000 a year for really big, really complex brands with lots of different geographies or sub-brands or distribution channels and things that they want to measure. But you're not pricing that on media spend, right? You're pricing that on other factors? Yeah, we're pricing it on other factors. So effectively, we price it based on the number of different KPIs that are being modeled in our platform. And so a KPI might be Total revenue, and that would be one, but you could also potentially break that down to, you know, revenue from the Shopify store versus revenue mm-hmm. from sales at Target versus revenue from sales at Walmart or whatever other different ways that these brands have of thinking about their business and how it's broken down. Got it. And what is your one to two year product roadmap? Yeah, really good question. So um, a couple of things that we're really planning on doubling down on. So one is workflow tools, especially around planning and managing the plan for marketing. So how do we think about when should we schedule a discount and what will that do for our chances of hitting plan if we add another 10% discount for July 4th? Plus, you know, how are we thinking about allocating our marketing dollars over that time period in order to be able to hit our goals. So easy management of those different plans and then thinking about forecasting and optimizing those plans in order to get the most juice out of every single dollar that we're investing in marketing. So that's, you know, one big thrust of work that we're really focused on right now. 
Another one is experimentation. And so not necessarily like geo holdouts, but how do we encourage marketers to do the sort of dynamic spin variation that gives the model signal and gives us confidence in the true incrementality reads that we're getting. So recommend a spin plan where you're gonna you know, mm. increase spin by 50% for two weeks and then decrease it by 50% for two weeks. And that's gonna give us this amount of additional confidence in the read on that channel and this other channel. And so we're building a bunch of tooling around that. And then the last thing that we're working on is potentially giving us the ability to to work more closely with partners and have them use the infrastructure that we've built for building, managing these models and delivering them to in clients. And so that might be an agency or some other like consulting type firm that, you know, wants to get out of using Python notebooks or whatever they're using today and actually use all of this infrastructure that we've built. That's still more early days, but something that we're exploring. And what can you say about business metrics? Anything about revenue growth, profit? We're growing really fast. Um, so we've got over 35 clients right now. We've been, you know, growing huge amounts year over year. So over a hundred percent. So we're feeling really good about where we are in growth. And we see just given how important this topic has become over the last couple of years in terms of thinking about doing probabilistic modeling and measurement, we see, a, a, you know, we, it feels like it's very early days and there's a, there's a lot, lot of room to continue running and growing this business. Got it. Okay. So now we'll move into the lightning round. So this is uh, just kind of like a fun segment where I will ask you a question. And the idea is that the answer should be very succinct and really it, it should be submitted quickly, right? It's like the first thing that comes to your mind, first one to two to three to four words that come to your mind, that's, that's the answer that, uh, that you should submit. Okay. Number one, what's the one competitive advantage you have versus other solutions? We're software first. Um, so we do, we think software first, we don't want to be doing services. We want to build everything to be able to run automatically in the cloud, take advantage of modern computing power as opposed to human power. Got it. Number two, why won't the walled gardens like Google, Facebook, and Amazon crush you? Oh God, uh, trying to do this fast. I don't know. They don't really play in this space, right? The walled gardens are very incentivized to maximize the the leverage that they get off of the demand aggregation that they've done. But this idea of measuring effectiveness across the different channels, I mean, first of all, they don't have a huge incentive to do this outside of like the open source toy projects that Facebook and Google have developed. And two, they're not really trusted to be able to do it, right? If you're working with Amazon, you shouldn't ask the barber if you need a haircut. I think marketers really get that, that they don't want to potentially be using these biased tools. And so it doesn't really make sense, I think, for them to play much in this space. Got it. Number three, what's your biggest product or market challenge? Biggest product or market challenge? So I think building trust is really hard. So this is a non-deterministic product. And so there's not like easy rules that you can point to where you're like, the person clicked on this before purchasing. And so we're going to assign credit to them. And so it requires building a lot of trust with a marketing team in order to start to think about how to use this sort of probabilistic model in order to actually make and drive decisions. And so figuring out how do we do things that are statistically correct and true, but that also help to build marketers' confidence who aren't you know, statisticians, how can we build that into the product so that marketers can run an experiment, validate it themselves, use that to convince the leadership that this thing actually worked. That for us, I think is, is our biggest challenge. Got it. Number four, what's the number one reason customers choose not to use your product? Oh, that's a really good question. 
I think a lot of them are just not ready for MMM. They sort of, you know, they're hooked on digital attribution. They don't think that they're going to be able to convince their leadership team to do something different. And what we tell people is, look, if if you aren't going to actually make changes to your budget based on these results, then you shouldn't work with us, right? Like just getting interesting insights, it's not going to be worth the expense and the headache of bringing on a new tool if you're just going to like look at the report and then do nothing. So you, as a business, you really need to be ready to actually drive change in terms of your marketing budgets and how you're going to think about measuring and how you're going to report out to your board. And if you're not well set up to do that, it's just not going to be a good fit. And I think, oh, you know, companies get that in some meaningful way. And so if they're not really ready to make that change, they're not going to want to work with a, with a company like ours. Got it. And Number five, and, and, and the last question, if your company was an animal, which animal would it be? Uh, that's a hard one. I don't know. Uh, a heron, uh, okay. I'll say. That's first. We usually get lion, eagle. Lions are good. I don't know. A heron Owl. feels very like noble, you know? So that's a really tough question. <laughs> uh, I didn't know what a heron was. Uh, oh, okay. It's a big bird. Big, right. like, water bird. Yeah. Well, Michael, thank you very much for your time today. How can people get in touch with Recast? Yeah, so um, first of all, check out our our website, getrecast.com. We've got a ton of amazing content on our blog. If you're looking to learn about marketing measurement, MMM, definitely go check that out. You can find me on LinkedIn, Michael Kaminsky. Um, I should show up if you search for me. You can also find me on Twitter. And then you can always reach out to us at info at getrecast.com. Michael, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Eric. Really appreciate it. Fun conversation. Thank you for subscribing to Marketecture. New interviews are added every week at Marchitecture.tv and your favorite podcasting app.